Welcome back to System Ministrivia, the podcast that is now two, three seasons strong. I'm Brent. Whoa! <laughs> that's and he's that's high energy, Thong. and I'm Peyton. <laughs> and he's high energy, and that's Peyton. Yeah. What's up, guys? <laughs> yeah, I'm it's... sick. That's why I would. Just so everyone knows, I'm sick. I'm not drinking. This is the first time ever. I'm not dedicated anymore. You're jaded. <laughs> I'm jaded <laughs> by the first two seasons. You're not jaded. You're Jay Thon. Blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. I knew that was coming. <laughs> All right. So we uh, yeah. we've got a good bit of content, which is rare. I think this is the first season opener we have had. Granted, it's only our third one, but it's the first one we've had where it's actually a good bit hey, of like, I mean, decent content. Know. And yeah, I I don't really have any sort of further to say other than this should hopefully be the first episode actually released on the new site the one that i've been talking about for something like what a year now yeah, you've a been year talking and a half since at least since i joined it's not longer it's mm-hmm. it's been a while yeah so we we are cruising right along hopefully once the site's up we're going to be able to ramp things up in terms of like finally actually getting merchandise and everything you like got that merch. So. I love I love how fake high energy Jathan is. Like, dude, I made a zoom noise. I, how it's, fast it's, it's actually pretty fast. Guys. It is. It it's a lot in. faster. It's a and lot use, faster. Yeah. Which is weird because it's actually database driven. The other one was actually Ooh. static driven, and this is a lot faster. So, and and I that is that's without gzip compression and, and caching and things like that. So I can even make it mm. a little bit faster. So I look forward to playing around with that. But yeah. So what is what is everybody drinking? Besides Jake well, though. I finished the year with Glenfiddich, to say it correctly. I remember that from the, mm-hmm. the show. I am now currently drinking Glenlivet, 12 years old. I would spring for the higher stuff, but they didn't actually have it at the liquor store, so. Plus, the higher stuff right. is like sipping, right. not like right. getting drunk for a well, podcast. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna sip this anyway, but we'll see how much. We'll see how much about that stuff. True. I I've been inspired, so I'll tell oh, you a shit. quick little really? story. Yes. Peyton has inspired me to find out oh, what good okay. vodka is. So I've actually gone to two different distilleries recently, local distilleries, and like tasted their vodka. And I actually found uh, slight differences between the two. They're both pretty high quality. So they were both just like, you know, not really that flavorful because it's not really supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's one of them that because it's local, if I go to the distillery, I can get it for like $20 a bottle. And I think I might try to turn over a new leaf and be a white girl like Peyton. <laughs> Turn over a and new be, be a white girl. <laughs> really, I would yeah, like you. I would still say tequila is white yeah. girl rather than vodka. No, tequila is like hardcore Mexican, dude. No, I, all right, but like wait, in terms wait, 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 of like U.S. white girl, what they're known for drinking. When you want to get white what girl drunk, you drink you tequila. About, I'm, I'm, I'm not, saying Brent talked about tequila. <laughs> okay, I'm talking well, about vodka. Well, Brent, what tequila are you talking about? Because there's different types of tequila, and, and you know, there is. There's, I mean, there's like there real is tequila, I was... and then there's like Cuervo. <sighs> Cuervo's not real. This just in from Jathan Cuervo is not real tequila. <laughs> well, by definition, it's it's real tequila, but uh, by white girl standards, it's just alcohol. What? I think <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I still, I still think. Now, granted, I think white girl alcohol, I think vodka is second on the list, but tequila is most assuredly the first. No, dude, they go out, they get, like, vodka no, cranberries no, no. and shit. 
taken motherfucking kamikaze shots. No, 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 no. Vodka Red Bull. Watching the waiters. They always have... They they don't walk around with bottles of vodka. People in Tijuana are not white girls. (laughs) Okay. So... I mean... Okay. Go to, like, any... Any big college party, you're not right. going to see them drinking cranberry vodka. Cranberry vodkas. Wow. Cranberry vodkas? You, what? Is that like a calculator? Have you been to college? Yes. <laughs> All right, listen. Oh, shit. By the way, you will notice in the new feed, when it goes live, we not only finally have episode summaries which in the awesome. feed itself, uh, which I've had a couple... I've had a couple people ask me for that. But I've also tagged episodes where some of the inside jokes come up. Like, I tagged the episode where Calculator became a thing. So Did you t- tag was... the VPN noise? No, I need to do that. Can we, I should do that before it goes live. Can we have one of those tag good. word clouds that people could just click on to find? <laughs> oh, no. no. I don't want to see those. word clouds or think about them. Holy fuck. Oh, not word clouds. Can I, just, can I just laugh at that? Anyways, I... <laughs> It's so stupid. It's like the most Web 3.0 bullshit ever. So I am drinking a North Coast Brewing. White girls girls are into word clouds. Would you hold on? I am drinking a North Coast Brewing Old Russian Russian Imperial Stout. Do you you think he likes? Uh, No, no, sorry. Old Rasputin, not old Russian. um, Age challenged. What Rasputin? He's been dead for a while. You said finally. I mean, it it took him like uh, seven things. Old Russian. I know it was a goof. I meant Old Rasputin, but he. You guys, you guys know how they like, they try to kill him like seven different ways, right? Uh, I think it was more like four. But, I want to say like, that it he, was a little bit more he, than that. Um, well, let's see. First, they tried poisoning him, and that didn't work. And then I think they tried bludgeoning him. This is going to be the story of my life in a couple of years. And then they tried <laughs> shooting him, and then I think they finally drowned him. Um, and I think that's um, what did it. I don't know that I want to agree with you there. Yeah, that's going off memory. You know what? We'll put it. We'll put it in the show notes. How Rasputin died, and and how many times they tried to to do it. That's so ridiculous. Anyways, yeah, let's let's go right onto the news. Oh, right, right you know, onto the news. Let's keep right. it brisk. Let's get the news. All right, Jason. Hi, energy, Jason. Hi, energy. Woo. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the news. Okay. Okay. Right. So, Delta Airlines reservation system was down. Uh, the last time this happened, it cost them uh, what a hundred million dollars, and this was in August of 2016. This was a Sunday evening, Saturday night, Sunday evening, somewhere around there. So yeah. that would be like January 28th ish. Yeah, January 28th ish. Uh, CNN reported it. I guess you know it sucks. Sucks to be that sysadmin. Oops. Mm. Uh, let's see. Now we have another one. We have uh, hackers were hold, held a hotel for ransom. And we're not sure if this has been completely disproven. Reportedly. Well, if I... Go ahead. Sorry, I, I just want to inject real quick. Supposedly it has fr- from a direct interview with the hotel okay. owner. So I I would say it's, it's pretty disproven. But yeah. Well, it was a luxury hotel in Austria. They had to pay their hackers a ransom after they managed to access this electronic key system and lock all the hotel guests in their rooms. Now, this is a 111-year-old four-star luxury hotel. The hackers demanded about 1,500 euro, which is really not a lot. The hotel decided to pay, and the system went back online. Now, again, I mean, we have a we'll have a link to the to what the dispute. You want to put that on there? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll link to the the Yahoo article. With you know, it's it's yeah. associated, associated Press, I think. Yeah. And then um and then we'll also link to the the dispute as well. So you can decide you for can, yourself. You can make that decision yourself. Is the dress blue and black or white and gold? Is it is it, is it alternate facts or <laughs> is not? Is it alternate facts or not? 
The next thing is, is the Guardian has reported that the WhatsApp has been intentionally compromised. And this is another one of those, this is news, but not really news, or this is true or not really true. Mm. A lot of InfoSec professionals have disagreed with the article, and they are have released a petition, and they want to see if we can get them to retract, have Guardian, the Guardian retract the WhatsApp article. We'll have links to those as well. In the, in the notes. Mm-hmm. So then the there was a Los Angeles college that was paid 28,000 hackers to get its files back. So once again, have backups, people. This was the Los Angeles Valley College when hackers managed to infect its computer network with ransomware and demanded 28,000 bitcoins to get back online. It occurred over the winter break and caused a disruption to online financial aid, email, and voicemail systems. And it locked out about 1,800 students and staff from their computers. The Los Angeles County Community College District, LACCD, agreed to pay the ransom demand. And the server criminals gave the college a week to pay the ransom and then threatened to delete all the data if they were not paid. So... Now, yeah. now hold on a second. You said you said the hotel was ransomed for fifteen hundred euros. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is that is one thousand six hundred and six dollars and ninety two cents right. in USD. Right. What I want to know is why is a four star hotel getting off so easily compared to an inst- educational institution? You, you know, and I recognize it's all just like you know totally arbitrary and, and up to the the attackers and all that. But uh, well, you know, the thing I'm thinking of here though is inside job for the hotel. Like somebody wanted a quick buck, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, yeah. That's, I mean, it makes no sense. We we see, like, police stations getting charged tens of thousands of dollars. Look we at see, Payton fucking thinking hard. <laughs> All shit. right, let him finish. Let him finish. We see uh, what, uh, other colleges getting paid, uh, uh, hospitals getting charged hundreds of thousands of dollars, and this hotel mm. is charged sixteen hundred bucks. I, inside job, yeah. like immediately inside job, really seriously. Yeah, you know? it's I don't. Where was where was the the hotel? The hotel was in Austria. It's the Austria's pretty good in a pretty good state economically it's speaking, the, and it's if it's a four star hotel, you know. Well, okay, but like there's historic. there's still there's still employees that you know maybe they need some money or whatever. Oh right, right, right. Sure, I'm saying like I don't know why you would even make it that low in the first place. I don't know, but it was the Romantic Sea Hotel Jagerwort Jagerwort. Mm-hmm. And another thing is, usually these ransom attacks, the the payment is decided, you know, by the author and then, like, kind of hard-coded into the worm itself. Yeah. So, or if it was a typo and they meant 15000 uh, or 150000 maybe? Well, here's here's my theory. And it, it, it does connect to, to your theory on it being an inside job. Yeah. It's, it's definitely within that realm. Sure. I think the hotel got attacked by a worm specifically targeting like home users like end users because that's well within it's a, it's pricey sure but it's well within something a consumer would be able to pay as opposed to an institution right you know that makes that makes a bit more sense to me especially too because you know a lot of people are starting to get these bump locks or whatever where you can your phone unlocks it and all you have to do is bump it with your elbow and it unlatches mm. the door you know if there's if that's connected to the internet then sure absolutely you could you could compromise that so fifteen hundred yeah. dollars I mean I would I mean you know if, if we if, would be able to pay it not that we would because because we keep backups, right? Right, right, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, but, but I mean, the point is the like, point is, yeah, it's, it's your average home user to get with a fifteen hundred dollar. All of a sudden, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you in your house unless you pay me. They'd be like, oh, well, I don't know what to do, you know. Yeah, and I don't even think it was like that. I think it was just a Windows box that was running software that controlled <laughs> the locks, if anything. Assuming the original story is accurate and people were locked outside slash inside their rooms, you know. Well, they they certainly aren't revealing a lot of information about it, unlike our baddie. Who uh, you know? Yeah. Would love to talk yeah. about. We'll do that later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the disparity between this community college, which they aren't really known to be 
flush with cash versus a four-star mm-hmm. hotel that probably deals in a lot of cash, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the community college got targeted by a ransomware specifically designed for larger institutions yeah. like hospitals, yeah. uh, law enforcement agencies, things like that. Because that's a much higher price tag and normal end consumers wouldn't be able to pay 28k, you yeah. know. So, I yeah. No. Nor would they value their data at 28k. Well, you know, the other difference I think Go ahead. In part is like what's really at stake. Like in a hotel, like you were saying, it could just be like a single computer at the desk or something like that mm-hmm. versus the college. A server. And I put that in quotes. Yeah. I, I mean, but it, it says server. It could be a series of servers or, you know, something much larger. We don't really know, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. You know what? That That's a good point. I wonder if a ransomware spreads across the network if the same unlock key works for all of those for that entire string i would suspect that it does not because from what i understand the keys randomly generated and then sent back to command and control or something like that yeah. so that would suck you know it would. If, well maybe that maybe that's why they paid 28k because they got multiple machines infected and that was a cumulative cost that could be it i mean that could be why yeah. you know the the story is, the story is very you know very much yeah not full yeah. detail people are we very servers infected by y or whatever it was it just said that the ransomware was that it was one designed to infect large uh facilities mm-hmm. yeah so infosec if you're listening i know some of you do and you're you are one of the infosec people that do malware research i would love to have this looked into because i yeah. think it's a good road to travel down absolutely sort of investigate where that why why such a disparity and if that's because of multiple machines being compromised and so on and so forth but let's let's keep going yeah. Peyton. sorry no, no it's fine I, I do like a good discussion of it so there's a bug in CryptKeeper, which, if you're not aware, is used to encrypt hard drives. CryptKeeper has a uh, password. It's a very simple password. It is literally the letter P. <laughs> so this is this is not good. Wait, what? You should you should probably yeah, yeah I'm, you know, I'm reading this now. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. The developers appear to have abandoned the project, which is even funnier. Yeah. <laughs> it's not used by that many people, although it makes the bug no tragically no less tragically hilarious. So the code is pretty simple, it's three lines, and yeah. So Well the code for the bug, yeah. yeah. Code for the bug, yeah. yeah. It was found in the Debian 9 stretch, which is currently attesting, but not in Debian 8. Jesse, Jesse, I believe it's been removed out of upstream, so it should not have that anymore. It's in the AUR. <laughs> <laughs> We should we should probably come and be like, yeah, you might want to remove this, yeah, or at least patch it or something. Double double check that. I I kind of want to install it and see if it works. Do you? Or if this is like a patched one? Yeah, I do. Do do you? Yeah, go for it. Go ahead. And it it should definitely be noted that Debianide has dropped it since it had a low user user base in the first place, and it's just so incredibly terrible. This is this is bad. Yeah, hilarious. It is, but at the same time, I can't help but wonder, like, what? Why? Just why would why would that have ever gotten in there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody has definitely beaten us. If you're writing crypto, if you're Uh, writing crypto, make sure it's widely reviewed. Okay. So by the way, I'm just I just managed to you know pull up the Rasputin page and I I glanced at it briefly at the assassination and Mm -hmm. he was he disappeared Saturday, 17 December, and his body was dredged over on Monday. Mm-hmm. He had been shot, yep. poisoned. Yep. Let's see what else is there. The bullet wounds were apparently slight, even though he was shot at four times, only one hit him. Mm. He was kicked in the right eye with a shoe. That's the one I forgot. He was there was burn 
burns like he was burned, I guess. Or oh, I forgot that one too. Could. Wow, it was wrapped in a broadcloth. I, yeah, I mean, just you know, they did everything that they could to kill this guy, and it's like, was he really that evil? Kind of, yes, but yeah. well. <laughs> Yeah, but also, like, from the stories, like, even after being poisoned, he was still, like... Yeah, he woke up. He, like, opened his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked around, like, like, you're trying to kill me, aren't you fuckers? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so, like, we're like, all right, we need to... (laughs) We need to step our game up because this is freaking me out kind of a thing. Yeah, that's crazy. So back right. back to the news. So yep. the next bit of news is there's a issue with TCP dump. There are multiple related vulnerabilities in TCP dump. There are mostly buffer overflows. Check your versions. They're in a lot of versions. Wheezy, Wheezy Security, mm. Jesse, Jesse Security, Stretch, Sid. It's bad, guys. Check it out. Make a look. You know, patch your is shit. It just just things in Debian's mainline, or it looks like it's that's... from what I understand, it's upstream. Yeah, oh. I just linked to the Debian security yeah, report on the news, but right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we'll we'll try and get some more information if you're if you're coming to us for your information. That's that's great, but we'll try to get more about what what more is affected but it looks pretty bad to me it's significant so uh, and that's paid with the news great that was <laughs> yeah by the way the tcp dump thing is terrifying there's like what like 15 of them at a glance something like that at least yeah i think there might yeah, be there's, more huh? there's a yeah, ton no more more than that there's so well that let list all of them just look at the ones that start with 2017 because those were the the ones that came in the batch uh, yeah it looks like uh, okay yeah yeah, everything else should be patched by now, and I, I'm sure TCP Dump is working on a patch if they haven't released it yet. But eleven, there's eleven on the 2017. Okay, yeah, so it's horrifying it is. to just look at the shock factor alone. But I do want to note that they are separate CVEs for different functions, and it's similar vulnerabilities in all the functions. So I think that is. I don't recall seeing a CVE before where they they split the different functions into separate CVEs. Yeah. But I yeah, like as as people were saying on Twitter, I guess someone finally got around to fuzzing TCP dump and found all these sorts of things, which is good. TCP dump's been around for a while. Yeah. And I use it heavily. I don't know about you two, but I, I use it very heavily. So I saw that and I was like, holy crap. But it's not quite as serious as it looks at first. Yeah. It's just they're separate CVEs for different functions. So yeah, do keep I mean, that in mind. Yeah. Moral of the story really is just be aware when you're using any software or tool. Mm hmm. Sure, try and run without root privs if possible. Not really that possible with TCP dump because you need access to the you know the raw interface and all that. But yeah. whatever. Well, I, all right. I, so I mean, you know, just keep an eye on what you got. You know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I mean, Make sure you follow CVEs and and have, even distro security announcements too. Yeah, I, having doing a lot of the patching at work. I mean, I, I deal with the patch management team, and, and we have. I mean, there's significant things that they look at. And there's a new new version of Java, which is every other week. It seems like. And, you yeah, know, just this yeah. is. And Java has plenty of, oh, <laughs> of vulnerabilities. We can get a Java. <laughs> Does SUSE have um, like a specific security-related mailing list or sort of announcement mechanism you know, like Rel does? I don't. I don't know exactly. I will. Uh, I will take a look and mm. I'll let you know. I don't. I'm not okay. on any of them. If there were, I'd one, imagine I'd they would. Yeah, they probably do. I, I'm. I yeah. I don't doubt it that they, oh. they do. Jathan, no yawning. High energy. <laughs> High energy, um, buddy. Come on. I just finished <laughs> off my my herbal infusion That's here. That's fantastic. So. Okay. We got to finish before I start coughing. <laughs> okay. Yes. So up tonight, we've got basically two main things. We've got Enterprise. Wow. Enterprise. That, 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 
calculator. calculator. We've got enterprise fleet management and a little bit of a comparison between BIOS and UEFI because I know a lot of people still don't recognize the difference. So it'd, it'd be good uh, to discuss that. Yeah. So starting with enterprise fleet management. Wait a second. I we don't see have, Puppet on here. No, well, we've talked about that in the past. I wanted to avoid talking about Puppet and Ansible and Chef and stuff because we have talked about those in the past and I'll link to the show notes. A link to the episode in the show notes where we, you can find more information about it. So I wanted to specifically avoid things we've talked about already at length and kind of focus on what would be more useful for very large deployments um, because we don't talk about that as much. I have a large deployment, but it's not really localized, so it, it's global. So I these particular tools don't have much use for me personally, how, but they are very good tools to know of. How many? Yes. How many do you have? How many? I. I can't say under NDA, but I will say it's it's Many. it is multiple digits. <laughs> multiple digits. It's more than two digits of. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same yeah. boat. It's it's more than two. Yeah, so it's a large number. So the key thing to keep in mind with these is that you don't really have any sort of you can't look at things like Puppet and Chef and Ansible and say yeah that would work for like 300 servers or like 500 or a thousand mm-hmm. or five thousand you know typically what a full DC allotment would be so like multiple cabs worth sure considering each cab is is what 48 you so you need to kind of look at ramping things up. And in that case, you need to look at stuff that is designed to incorporate into the network level itself. So you've got things like rconfig, which is, it's it's pretty cool. It's basically change slash config management for hardware network gear. So like Cisco routers and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's like Ansible or the equivalent, you know, for your network gear, which is nice because, you know, Cisco iOS doesn't have Python, so you can't run Ansible. I would love to see someone trying to get Python on iOS, but I feel like that'd be a terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it'd be pretty bad. I think Juniper OS is Linux-based, so it might work there, but, you know, like, that's aside. You've got something specifically targeted for it, which is rconfig. It's open source, you know, it's fantastic. It's got a GUI, so if you happen to be into that... well. I think that. it also has are pretty a nice. shell interface. You know, yeah, yeah. They, they have their use, especially if you've got, like, tasks you need to allocate to junior admins and things like that. And they're also helpful to be able to pull up, like, graphs, you know, and screenshot and send. Mm-hmm. I mean, managers really love graphs, you know. Managers. Yeah. Managers. Managers and C-levels, they love the clicky-clicky and the shiny. They love the clicky-shiny. So. Lights. Yeah, so if, if you need to take a quick screenshot or something of like network load or what have you, great thing. Which is also why I will talk about cacti a little bit later on as well. Mm. <laughs> and then we have Algeus. Jathan, I believe you use Algeus? Do you? I use it with Puppet. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Which is perfectly, you know, you, you can. Algeus is, so I'm sure we're all familiar with Windows's registry, right? Like regedit oh, yeah, and all that. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I haven't used Windows in seven years or so, but from what I understand, it still has a registry. So Algeus lets you kind of access your config files as if they're a registry. You can specify like key and value sort of things, right. and it will parse the config and give you a sort of command line interface to changing these values. The reason it's nice to use with Puppet in certain instances is, you know, the sort of interface to do those with different types of configuration files and services are known as lenses. And Mm so Puppet has several lenses just built in, but it's also pretty easy to find a lot of pre-built lenses for a lot of things. Or write your own. 
Yeah. Yeah, or write your own. But at that point, I feel like there's probably an easier way with Puppet to achieve what you're trying to do. Yeah, and that was, Jathan and I got into a somewhat heated discussion about that, where I said, you know, you if you're already using some sort of change management tool, like Puppet, or Ansible, or Chef, or Salt, or whatever, you'll want to manage the configs directly via templating. Well, it looks to me like, I mean, it's a Red Hat project. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of cool in that you've got funding from Red Hat for it. That's yeah, you know, I'd yeah. So it that. is. Well, it's not really a Red Hat project. Per it's se. an Red Hat emerging technology project. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's close, and it's under the umbrella. They offer, they host yeah. it, you know, but it's not really like integral to Rel or anything right. like that. Right, right. But it is pretty cool. It's if you don't like, you know, if you're a little bit more old school and you don't like the idea of a centralized management system, it can definitely help with you manage your your setups, and it does allow more fine grain sort of things that templating does usually. The reason I like Ansible's templating, for instance, is because it uses Jinja 2, which even has like logical operations built into the templating language. Right. So Yeah, and Puppets uses basically like a Ruby syntax, which isn't my favorite by any means, but I'm sure it's just as capable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you know Ruby, good for you, but I find it terribly painful, so I'm I'm glad I didn't go with, with Can Puppet, you do but... like sort of inline templates? How do you mean? So if you have a playbook that's being applied to a certain thing, can you make a template in there or does it have to be kept separate? You know, I, I don't know. Because that's can... the one thing too with Puppet is you have the option you... to do both. And for a really big config, I would always opt for an external template. But right. for something that's only like, you know, two or three lines potentially, or I have to stick one thing in, I like to keep it a little bit more compact in a single file. It looks, mm. you know. Well, you can, you can do... So I know for a fact... That in Ansible you can do like variables, but typically that's going to be for like file names more than, you know, like actual content of the files. From what I understand, it's it's all going to be, I mean, Ansible is Python based. So you could, if you really wanted to, you could probably get real crazy with your playbooks and, and implement inline replacements and such with the, with the templating engine. Right. I would not recommend it because it's probably more work than it's worth. But I do, I generally like keeping templates separate from the execution anyways, simply because you can look at the template and go, okay, this is how the file's supposed to look, except for these key, these, you know, fill-ins here and this logic here, you know? Sure. But that's that's just how I approach it. Sure. I wonder what inline templating even looks like. If you if you wouldn't mind, just at some point send me a link to what to the docs for Puppet inline oh, uh, yeah, sure. templating. Cool. So that's on GS. It's really neat. That combined. It can with, be really powerful. I mean. Yeah. It takes a little bit more work. Actually, I would say a lot more work than templating. Yeah. Because it's you need to categorize and sort of walk and understand the structure of each and every config file you want to edit with it. But if you're like a heavy gconf user, which is what GNOME and other GTK stuff uses for right. preferences, if you're familiar with the command line tool for that, gconf2 tool, I think it is now, it's a lot like that. It's very similar to that. You'll If you've used that a lot, AllGS will be very familiar to you. And that combined with PDSH would be immensely powerful. But again... It's it does have a grain of salt, you know, in that it's not going to be very sort of adempotent and sort of friendly visually. So do keep that in mind. Next, there is ne I got to be honest, I have no idea how, how to pronounce this. I want to say Nettie. Yeah, that's what I think it Nettie. is. 
Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard of this one prior to now. Yeah, it's NEDI. We'll, of course, link to it in the show notes. So Netty, and then the next one I'm going to talk about, which is Observium, basically do the same thing, but I included both in case one doesn't, you know, like, jive with you or whatever. They're a lot like, oh, what's that? There was a Windows tool that did this. Oh, no, no, no. You know what I'm thinking of? I think I'm thinking of, um... Ntop NG. No, 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 no. It's it's definitely not that. Well, Xenos does a lot Xenos. of Xenos! Yes, Xenos is something very similar to this. But if you don't want to employ or, you know, dropship in Xenos... Which I don't recommend anymore. Because it's just not what you need. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit of a headache. I used to, but now the install docs for Xenos include deploying Docker containers, so I'm out. (laughs) That's the only reason why you you wouldn't go with it? Yeah, dude, I'm not fucking... No. I'm not using a fucking Well, you can, ad- you can adapt the documentation as you should to your specific use case. No, but I don't want yeah, to do that. Just Docker's give me silly. fucking install docs. Just. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Boy, he's vicious. Today, yeah, so, he? yeah, yeah, I'm liking it, though. I appreciate yeah. you you giving us high energy, Jathan. Yeah, Jathan. Woo. Editor, can you give me a count how many times I say the phrase high energy in this episode? Because <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm going for a record. I don't want to see if I make it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It basically walks your network and tries to discover devices and categorize them based on what, what they are and their IP address and so on and so forth. Xeno says, Jathan said, does have a similar tool to do that. It's slow as shit, or at least it was when I used it, and that was admittedly, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago, I want to say? Something like that? Yeah, it's been a while. Bookmarks, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a while since I used that feature of Xenos or Xenos in general, but from what I understand, I, being, I remember it being absolutely slow as shit is that still the case jathan i haven't used it now probably in almost two years myself but it was pretty slow when i used it two years ago. okay so as of two years ago it sounds like it's still the case yeah so this netty and observium which we'll, we'll talk to him in a second sort of specialize in categorizing your network for you it's basically like a graphical mapping sort of graphing end map you know, maybe not to the degree that of, of detail that Nmap offers, but it is very useful for visually representing your network, which is very important. It's so important because that's the, the kind of stuff where, you know, managers love to see that. They, they say, OK, I, I don't know where this server is. And, and they have no they don't inter- interact with that server like we do. So we can say, oh, yeah, that's that's behind switch number X, you know, router Y, whatever. We just know that because we have that mental map. And this this will automatically create a tangible digital. So it's not entirely tangible you get you know you get my idea a, a, a yeah. digital visual representation of that map for you and it's designed for it so it's going to be a lot faster and it's optimized for that sort of purpose rather than xenosis mapping which kind of feels bolstered into me rather than or bolted in rather rather than like something specifically designed for it and it's nice you know it's got paid services it's so like yeah, paid support so if you want that enterprise sort of backing which i know we've talked about at length in multiple episodes and you know how to decide if that's something you might want for your implementation they do offer that but yeah it's pretty handy i would say i probably would never use this shit i don't like i said i i <laughs> all right why jathan what problems do you have with it? Uh, just primarily, I don't know that I would go to the trouble of making a whole tool that had access to this much of my network just to make a map of it. I mean, what do you mean? Ac- what do you mean access to your network? 
Well, you know, to discover your network, it has to be on all of your networks and whatever. I'm sure, you know, it has capability to really... To an extent. It's not It's not like SSHing to these hosts or anything. No, it's no, not performing it's like... any sort of interaction other than a couple Synax. Yeah, but that means it still has to have access to all your different VLANs Would and you... everything else and just, yeah. Yeah, which is why you'll definitely want to run this on like a, a dedicated sort of server that is locked down and doesn't have anything running except so the do sort you, of do you suppose categorizing this is software. Do you suppose this is something you sort of run one time or something you continuously run? It continuously runs just to catch new devices and remove devices that fall off or alert about them and if they're missing and so on and so forth. But here's my question. You're okay with doing that with alerting software, correct? Yeah, sort of. So then why why not mapping software? It's not that I have a fundamental issue with it. Just for the amount of trouble I would go through to make it happen, I don't think oh, I would okay. find the value in I the see. time investment. You could probably run the crawler on your alert. Yeah, yeah. At the, that's probably you know, what... And, and save some. And then run the front end elsewhere. Yeah. That's probably what I would have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that way you wouldn't even have to edit firewall rules and routing rules and all that stuff true, as well. True, So then similar to that, we're, we're going to talk about Observium. Now, they're very similar, but Observium, at least in my opinion, has... I'd say it's probably the superior one, simply because it looks a lot cleaner. It looks a lot more featureful. And again, you know, I haven't actually used these, unfortunately, so I can't provide a, a review as to their usability or stability or things like that. But it does look a lot cleaner. Can you guys... Would you guys agree with that statement? Observing? Uh, yes and no. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was... I would say it looks a little less refined, but, like, more well laid out. Well, are you looking at the live demo? Because I'm looking at the live demo here, and it's... I mean, it's pretty slick. Yeah, it's kind of sexy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. So this they they also, and they do have a more fleshed out enterprise availability. They actually have two product branches. They've got Observium Community and Observium Professional. Obviously, if you're an enterprise environment, you would probably want to go with the professional route yeah. uh, if you didn't want to support that in-house. So they do have, also have a more fleshed out enterprise option. But, you know, they are, they do have, as Peyton said, they do have a live demo available on their site. They do have more features in the professional version, but it's also only 200 pounds a year. I saw that and I was actually like, I mean, that's actually not that bad. Really. That's astounding. You know, the that's, one thing about this is That's a this drop is in like, the bucket for an enterprise IT budget. Yes, Jathan. I don't understand why they sort of, their tagline here says network management and monitoring, but... It's network monitoring with intuition, Jathan. With intuition, <laughs> okay? I bet. That's intuition. what I was missing. That's what I was missing. <laughs> yeah. And it also has a large... I, I would think it's a larger amount of support for end endpoints. So it says here it's got Cisco, Windows, Linux, HP. So I'm, I'm assuming they mean HP UX, yeah. HP Unix, Juniper, Dell, FreeBSD, Brocade, Netscaler, NetApp, and lots more. So it's kind of an all-in-one sort of thing. So this combined with something like Arconfig and Augeus or your whatever. I don't know how Puppet man manages its inventory, but in Ansible you can run, you can basically write a script to automatically interact with a, an inventory, whether it's in a database or what have you. I feel like Ansible's sort of dynamic inventory option combined with this would be super powerful. I Do you know if Puppet supports something like that, or do you have to actually hard code out uh, all the hosts for the inventory? 
No, no, I mean, you can, there's like something, well, there's a couple of ways to do it, but I mean, it stores a whole shit ton of information about hosts in uh, the Puppet DB by default, mm. and you can then tap into and use that information, yeah. Right, how do the, how, how do you like add and remove hosts from that inventory, though? Is, does it support like a sort of intermediary oh. script to handle that for you, or? It kind of depends. You can do it based on time, like if a specific agent hasn't checked in in a certain amount of time, just remove it, just it, drops it, okay. Yeah. And then I guess when you install the agent, it automatically adds it to? Yes, the inventory okay i personally for historic reasons i don't have it automatically drop them i have it just stop updating them and then they're there but yeah is, is that threshold configurable by the way so like five days of downtime and it just removes it i think so okay interesting obviously i don't know that much about puppet but yeah it's that's why i have jthon on i have to so learn. that's <laughs> yeah yeah i have to learn payton's been working through working through puppet uh, so that is definitely something to look at as well. I encourage you to look at both. And obviously, as always, with before deploying anything in, into production, evaluate both in a sort of demo or staging area and, and decide which one works best for your needs. But personally, if I was going to go with something, I would probably go with Observium over Neti. I feel like that's the right way to pronounce, but I can't help but thinking of Neti Pots when I say that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, don't know. That's, I think that's, it's it's probably NetEye, like Network uh, Diagnostics. Yeah. Maybe. But then why is the I lowercase? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who, who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? And then lastly, it's not directly a sort it's, of management tool. <laughs> right, right. But going back to what we were speaking of with the clicky clicky and the shiny, if you've got a lot of tools that sort of generate raw log files or, or, or command line based or what have you, Cacti is fantastic for visually representing those sort of assets. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's basically the industry standard for visualizing data that doesn't come with its own visualizer. It's usually used with RRD tool, but you can generate compatible data that Cacti can then read and graph for you. It supports a couple different data types from what I understand. And it's not just for, you know, like taking packet byte counts and basing, like building a, a flowchart or not a, a flowchart, but like a, a flow graph, what have you. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do with it. We run it on our clusters. So basically, and it's like available for anybody to go look at. So if you're running on the cluster and you know your job's on a specific node, you can go look at like network statistics and read write stuff for wherever you're running. No, when you say it's available for anybody to look at, is that you, do you mean just users or is this something like we and our listeners could look at? No, no, no. Sorry. I mean, anybody who has access to like the campus network or the cluster oh, okay. could get to it. Like, you don't really have to log in. Oh, Okay. Just if you're on campus, you can go look at it because it, it's right. not anything Got revealing it. on there. It's just graphs of like, here's what the cluster is doing right now. Yeah. And it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a super. I mean, compared to what it's it a does. Good tool. Yeah. It's super responsive. It's kind of like kludgy looking and stuff. But I think that's kind of the point is that it just does one thing and does it pretty well. I mean, it's essentially somewhere you go mm -hmm. click yeah. around and look at graphs. It doesn't do much more than that. Yeah. But let you know, like in an enterprise environment, that's sort of that's data you need at your fingertips. Oh yeah, depending. Sure. You know, that's something you need to pull up in a pinch and say, like, yes, this is what is going on. This is what I. This is the information I need, and I need it in a visually mm -hmm. represented way. So it, it definitely serves a purpose. It's kind of a niche purpose, but it's a very important purpose nonetheless. Yeah. So that being said, I'm going to close out this segment. <laughs> Because that's all I have well, for this, hold this on. particular I, segment. I, I of course, you know. Yes. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was going to close it out, but no, go, go ahead. 
I was, no, well, I was going to close the segment. We're Go. talking about. I'm, I'm going. Are you delaying? <laughs> I actually. All joking I think aside, I think is experiencing a delay. A little bit, yeah. So I wanted to talk about actually. I, I noticed we're talking about you know network monitoring, monitoring and stuff like that. And I wanted to mention a device that or a software that my company uses, which is called Galileo, mm. and it actually does quite a bit of this. And it's actually pretty nice. And I can, I can give you a link to it if you want to. It's well, we use it at work, and it's I mean it's phenomenal for stuff like this as well too. So. But anyway, kind of a little bit of self bump there. But anyway, so that's that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to bring it up. I, you know, cool. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I like hearing when we actually use some aspect of these tools and can offer alternatives and so on and so forth. Now, for yeah. I'll admit, it's not it's not without controversy. The BIOS and UFE discussion. Oh, this is this is a good discussion. I it like is discussion. Surely. How of the three of us? I know I'm using it I'm in using multiple it. places. The two of you have you used UEFI and. And I on use it on my machines. laptop, I use it on my desktop, yes. I use it on as many of my prod servers as I can. It's actually, I actually use it quite a bit. If I'm having trouble with a device, you know, I will bounce down to BIOS, but, you know, it's not that bad, really. I mean, it's not a bad thing to have to, to have or use, you know. Like, I think people kind of assume that it's the same as, like, Secure Boot, and it's not in... Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I don't know. I just, there's this idea that it's bad and it's not really all that bad. It's actually pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fast, which I love. You can yeah. manage the boot settings well, from uh, the OS. Yeah. Before we talk too much about which that, is I think. Fantastic. Before you would need, like. Yeah. Before we talk too much about, you know, the benefits of it, I really think we should talk about what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Actually, let, yeah. Let's, let's talk about the, so, the difference between them, which is a good lead in, I think. So, BIOS, basic input output I system. Saw, I, don't, I don't even know, really. Basic input output system. Yeah. Okay. It's... Did that from memory. Nice. I uh, did that from memory. I'm proud of myself. So, that is the, the, that's been the standard since. I want to say... 75? Yeah. I thought it was with the introduction of the x86 architecture, but I guess not. Apparently it predates it. It's the CPM, CP slash M. Yeah, no, I don't even know. I haven't even heard of that. And I I know a lot about obscure and old operating systems. It was invented oh, by Gary. Thanks, Gary. Cool. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Thanks. So the point with BIOS is that the... You would have a, a, a sort of software that runs on the motherboard. And it's it's, it's a 16-bit that software. will initialize devices by their firmware. It's a mm-hmm. 16-bit code base, basically. <laughs> there really is a fucking delay. Jesus Christ. 16-bit yeah. code base. And it makes a lot of assumptions, though, which, you yeah. know, like, basically, it always reads the first sector on a hard disk, basically. Yeah. Which is not true of UFE, and we can talk about mm-hmm. that more then. So, you know, it was written, obviously, a long time ago, back in 1975. It's now 2017. Mm-hmm. Things have moved along a lot. People do very different things with computers now than they did then. The inflexibility of that alone is reason enough to, I think, make the case for why UFE is a great thing. But I digress. Continue, please. Sure. Sure. So, no, it was, oh, I'm always right. right. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Now, granted, newer isn't always better. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. Granted, newer isn't always better, but this is a, a case of something that's been, that's so old and hasn't been touched in so long, we needed a complete overhaul of, of how we yeah. handle it. So BIOS, from my understanding, is sequential in that it will try and read the firmware of each device and then initialize it from that firmware, you know, device by device and so on and so forth. It's slow. Apparently, it's, it's very slow. It's pretty limited 
as Jathan said, it's only 16 bytes. It's... The, it depends on CMOS and all that. UEFI, on the other hand, moving into like a... Does anyone have handy when UEFI first came about? I want to say like 2006 I think it might have been even... Yeah, I was going to say... 2005. Oh, that was pretty close. That was pretty good. I mean, it, it's been... It was developed earlier than that. It was developed in the mid-90s for the Itanium system. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, that was... Itanium was a, was a failed experiment. Yeah. Yeah, significant. But they, they did give us x86-64. It kind of birthed that so it wasn't without use yeah 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 yeah, right so 2005 they ceased deployment or development intel i should say ceased development of the efi specification at version 1.0 and contributed to the unified efi forum Mm -hmm. which has evolved the specification as the unified extensible firmware interface the original efi still remains owned by intel and they provide licenses for efi based products but the uefi specification is owned by the forum in fact, I believe if you have a, I believe a, a first gen Intel Mac, was that 2007? Jathan? Might have been know? before that. No, no, no. It might have been, yeah, a little before that. It might have been like 2006, okay. but whatever. It's right around there. Okay. Yeah, they implement, and this is so weird to me, it's a 64-bit user space, but their FE, their FE space is 32-bit, not 64-bit. So it's, I can't imagine the amount of hackery it would take to do that, but that's what they did. It is actual FE. Um, nowadays, they use UFE in their own sort of proprietary format. It's, it's right. still basically UFE, but it's not entirely compatible with the standard so don't think you can just run fe boot manager on linux on a mac and have it work okay because you're there's a good chance you're gonna mess things up quite a bit yeah well and then there's also the fact that you can go from 64 to 32 but you can't go from 32 to 64 yeah i'm still wondering how they managed to boot as a 64 kernel from a 32 fe image but insane hackery yeah 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 (laughs) that's the only that's the only conclusion i can make on it yeah so they did some interesting things with it, but it, it, in terms of PC, the PC world, it is pretty standardized now. Secure boot, which is probably the most hotly debated aspect of UEFI, is not required for the UEFI spec. Let me say that again. Secure boot is not required by UEFI. It's widely implemented, but it's not required. It's a good idea to set up your own key store because it, it does, you know, whatever your your stance on yes. Microsoft owning the, key, the master keys and all that, and then... In case you missed it in one of our previous episodes, the golden key of Secure Boot got leaked, <laughs> which is hilarious. That was just a couple episodes. Yeah, ago. That was, I think I want to say S1E21 ish, somewhere around there. Yeah, it was right before the it was right before the finale. Yeah. I want to say. So, in case you missed that, we'll link it. But you know, so th- that goes again to show that this is a bad idea, and you should leave that sort of control in user hands. But you can override that key store with your own key store, and then only authorize kernels and things like that that you have signed with your own key to boot and i highly recommend that it does provide a very useful interface a very useful mechanism of protect of preventing the the evil maid attack uh and i'll link to that in the show notes as well if you're not familiar with it the evil maid attack is is you know the saying when someone has hardware access uh when someone has physical access to your hardware you're you're comped period yeah the evil maid attack is a the sort of in practice implementation of that and secure boot does a fantastic job of of protecting against that assuming you know your your boot order is locked down and stuff as well and your uefi itself is locked down and you know there, there's a couple other steps you need to take, but it does a lot to prevent that attack from succeeding, which is fantastic. It addresses things that BIOS never could. So it's, I would not classify Secure Boot as inherently evil. I think it's evil that Microsoft owned the master key, and it was automatically by, by default the only trusted key on 
wide scale published system, uh, you know, released vendored systems, but the tool itself is actually pretty useful. So I would I would recommend looking into that, and I can I can post some links on getting you started with that. But as Peyton said, it's a unified, extensible firmware interface, I believe, and it does things a little bit different. It tries to start firmware in parallel only as their access sort of a thing so it'll only start the the firmware of the disk if you're trying to reach the disk and it has support for booting a kernel directly so right from your ufe screen your bio screen essentially but remember they're different so right from your ufe screen you can boot directly to a linux kernel you can boot directly to a FreeBSD kernel i think they have ufe support i'm not sure things like that which greatly speeds they up do, boot time by the way you don't need to start a bootloader you know you don't need to configure bootloader even it's true what they do what FreeBSD supports it yeah okay thank you i thought they did i thought i remember seeing the announcement i believe that's a pretty recent development too but yeah so it, it's it's very handy and even if you do use a bootloader with your ufe i do you can and i like that even then it's still blazingly fast it's very fast it's very fast. The Just about the only delay you have is any sort of pre-configured wait time you configure in the UEFI mm-hmm. system itself. I've had cases where I've locked myself out of UEFI because I can't hit the, the menu fast enough, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I've mean, i definitely experienced that, too. Uh, we're talking, like, laptops booting up in seconds. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. single-digit seconds. Yeah. And that combined with System D, as long as you, like, disable, like, networking and stuff on boot and stuff like that, you're, you're talking boot time of, like, two seconds, which we had never been able to achieve before. It's astounding. It's amazing, and I love it. And as I said before... UEFI is manageable through the OS itself. If you have root access, you can access the bootloader order, add new boot boot, boot entries, you know, and not just via the bootloader. If you want to run UEFI directly to kernel, if you want to boot directly to a kernel, you can manage that inside Linux. That's fantastic. That's mind-blowing to me. It does, of course, open some sort of issues. We've reported recently in the past episode, in a, a past episode of doing an RM-RF on the virtual interface to the UEFI variable mm-hmm. systems inside Linux, and that will brick your UEFI. I'd imagine that's patched by now. I would hope that's patched by now. Yeah. So it does not it it does not come with some caveats. But this is Linux, you know. That RM-RF means yes, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Don't ask me. Right. <laughs> And I, I I think that's actually we're already at an hour in raw time here, so yeah, we'll we'll try and provide some links and you can you can take a look at it yourself. But do give UFE a chance. I know it has a lot of bad press out there and I know a lot of people hate it, but I feel like those people haven't really digged into the full feature set of UFE. Yeah. You can run mem tests directly from UFE. Yeah. You know, like like it's so useful. But I don't know. I, I, let's let's just go on to the baddie because that's uh, speaking of RM RFing. That's a, a good place <laughs> to bring into it. Very relevant. So, Jason, you want to you want to give us our baddie? All about the baddie. Okay. All about that baddie. Yeah, so baddie. this news broke in several places, sort of all at once. Our links that we're looking at right now are just from Twitter. Mm-hmm. So roughly 24 hours ago now, it's now 8pm on Wednesday February 1st, 8pm MST. I don't know what the fuck it is in UTC. I don't really give a shit. Anyway. Also, EST is apparently Murica time. Didn't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's 3am February 2nd UTC currently. Okay, yeah, so 24 hours ago roughly. 318. GitLab status if you're not familiar with GitLab it is a enterprise grade sort of GitHub alternative you can self-host, you can host with them 
They have some public offerings for free, stuff like that. Which you you do. Well, we self-host, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, you, you, you self-host GitLab. Yeah. Anyway, so GitLab.com status, at GitLab status on Twitter, tweeted, We accidentally deleted production data and might have to restore from backup. Then they pasted a link that says Google Doc with live notes. Okay, okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, why are the tweets upside down? Fuck. I don't know, dude. Why are the tweets upside down? All right, never mind. Forget. What? Pretend I didn't say that. The, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the first tweet was, we're performing emergency <laughs> database maintenance. GitLab.com will be taken offline. An hour later, we're experiencing issues with our production database and are working to recover. And then an hour later was the tweet that said, we accidentally deleted production data and might have to restore from a backup. And that's when they posted the Google Doc. So... It turns out it was a poor administrator. I accidentally, I accidentally DB1. Yeah, right. I accidentally. So, so it turns out it was a lone administrator working, I believe, in the Netherlands who accidentally, yeah, basically while doing a database migration, they actually just removed one, the wrong one. He accidentally the whole thing. Yeah. It, ha- it, it happens. There's a few things I want to say about this up front. Yes, you're getting a baddie GitLab mm-hmm. because you did a bad thing. And it also has been said that they have several mm-hmm. sources of of backups and several of them were discovered not working as a result of this process five yeah five. so so that's really bad all all of them were not working but they still had a path to recovery as it were right right so yep. there was this Google document where they kept notes in real time as they were discovering things and updating things. A lot of people applauded them for their transparency, which I have to say, you know, I would do the same thing, but it would make me very weary to ever switch to their hosting options at this point. The other thing is Nasbig, who is a frequent member of our IRC channel, he pointed out to the US early this morning that they had a live stream of their admins on YouTube basically talking about the recovery process and they were just sort of having a party. I mean, you got to give them you got to give them some credit for being as open as they were about the problem and they opened up this pretty slick dashboard, a Grafana mm-hmm. dashboard and they can you see the DB1 is down. It's like 71 megabytes and then you look through the day and you're you're hovering over it and it goes to the end and you go up and you just can watch the gibbies rise in db2 you know it's it's pretty slick man i mean i you know like i was telling the guys before i mean if i was going to have a problem and i needed to make sure that you know people were aware of it i'd i'd do something like this for sure you know i mean this, yeah this yeah. this this is better than there's no problem we're not aware of a problem you know absolutely you know? yeah and I'm, I'm glad both of you mentioned that because the it's so easy to fall in the trap of oh you know like don't communicate anything to customers let the system it's work on it this is unprecedented we have never ever seen a live stream of an admin bringing back in this case uh four or five admins i think it was working on restoring services and i think it's fantastic because it does two things one they were interacting with people in the chat that lessens support desk load Basically, because you're able to directly interact with people doing. Yeah, I mean, the they were literally it's in not like a disruptive Google Hangout to the admins, and they don't have to type back. They don't have to open up a ticket. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty slick, honestly. I mean, it was. Yeah. You know, like, and I would. I hesitated so much giving them this baddie because they handled it so well. They handled it so well. They made their work log public, so you know, like, they have a, a very full and detailed report, which of course we'll link to, available to the public. So you got to see timestamps and what is being done when and what steps are next for resolution. You got to see them actually working on it. You got to see what step they currently are live by like three seconds ago. You got to interact with them via chat and they would answer some questions you had about their infrastructure. They took 
advice from people interacting with them. And that would, in turn, improve their own services, their own structure. And that's fantastic. I would love to see that in the future. I would love to see more of that. But at the end of the day, it pains me to say, you're still getting a baddie. You still RM-RF'd a directory without checking what host you were on. Now they do also, and I will give them credit for this, they have a plan forward. They have a plan to implement some small changes that will drastically reduce the chances of this happening again. And they are relatively young. A really simple example of that is instead of... yeah. God, this fucking delay yeah. is awful. And I get the feeling they're mostly developers. <laughs> I know, I know. But just bear with me. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. And, you know, like, I get the feeling they're mostly developers developers rather than sysadmins. Yeah, I got that as well. Um, and that's and the someone thing pointed is... that out in, I think, the, the Philly Lug channel. Yeah, and that's the thing about this is I absolutely applaud them for their transparency. I hope they learn something from it. And, you know, more so for a small company mm. who might not have a huge user base at this point, like GitHub or some of the other, like Atlassian Git and stuff like that. You know, I would be hesitant based on this experience to ever give my hosting over to them. But at the same time, you know, if something happened at one of these other companies, they might not even tell anybody. So you kind of have to take it for what it is and really consider like, well, Mm. maybe these guys actually aren't so bad after all. It's true. Transparency is very important. And that's, you know, we give people credit for transparency all the time. Probably the number one lesson we can walk away with this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. So sadly, they still get a baddie, but I would say it's, if, if we had to rank baddies, they're pretty low. They're pretty low on the terrible scale because they handled it beautifully. And I'm really proud of them for that. Yeah, as Jathan said, I probably would not use their services personally. This is a major fallback of the whole cloud infrastructure fad where, you know, oh, it's at the cloud. It's totally safe. There's redundant <laughs> systems. It's self-healing. Yeah. No, you can still fuck it up really badly. Yeah. But the way they handled it was really great. And they get my support for that. So I guess it's it's like a 0.5 baddie. <laughs> But we don't we don't really quantify the baddies, so you still got a full baddie. I'm sorry, guys, but you did the right thing, and I think that's a unlike many of our past baddies. Yeah, you you moved forward. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. I think you know, I think the fact that you know it was it was a simple mistake. It wasn't you know some tech plugging a flash drive into or plugging the internet into something that shouldn't have the internet. You know, I, I think right. <laughs> Right. It was literally, you know, just a mistake. You typed the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. You know, it happens, you know. It does. And the way you handle it after the fact, you know, I think that's good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with that, this has been Sysadministrivia, the podcast where we are now in our third season, not our second season, as I stated before. We hope to have many more seasons coming to you guys. We're really glad you you check in with us and listen to us and interact with us, really. As always, you can reach us at a new URL, sysadministrivia.com slash contact. It's a lot easier now. I hope you like the new site. We would love to receive feedback on it, ways we can make it better, easier to use, things like that. I would like to note, your feed may have been messed up, and I apologize for that. That's because I switched to a new GUID system tagging for the raw feed XML itself. It will now generate a SHA-256 sum for the media file itself as the GUID, rather than using the files URL. So do keep that in mind. So if you see some weirdness in your podcast client, just and I'm sorry to make you do this, just remove the, the feed and re-add it. Some of the file names have changed as well. I re-tagged all the new episodes to conform to a standard I use. So it's a lot cleaner, but there is the painful transition. So you may have a messed up feed, and I apologize for that. That all being said, I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Peyton. See you around.